Amen. Well, grab your Bibles this morning, if you will, and turn to the book of Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. All right. Luke chapter 10. It's a good thing that they've got Luke printed now because uh, Luke was a doctor. And you know, everybody knows you can't read a doctor's handwriting. Isn't that correct? So we wouldn't have known what he said. But um, He's got some amazing things to tell us this morning that go along with neighboring that uh, come directly from the life and from the words of Jesus Christ. And so um, I believe God's got, a, got some special things that he wants to say to us this morning. Let, let me say, if you are a neighbor today or if you're just a, a friend that's here visiting today, we welcome you. As <clears throat> Pastor Chris said, we, we love you. We're so thankful you're here. Um, and, and I hope that today... As there's an instruction, as there's some, some directions that are being given to the family, to the house, that, that what you'll do is you won't receive it as somebody pointing their finger in your face telling you what you need to do, but you'll just hear today how very much you're loved, how much we care for you, how much we value you, how much um, we just thank God for you and, and know that God has a great, great plan from your, for your life. Amen? Even if, you're, um, even if you're visiting all the way from St. Kitts, Chris and Amanda, good to see you all here with us. Let's welcome the Bells home this morning. Great to see you guys. So, bless you all. If you uh, need to see me the month of uh, June, I'll be with them. Uh, so... <laughs> Um, would you like to go, Yvette? Oh, okay, so that's all right. <clears throat> all right, we in Luke chapter 10. Um, one more thing, I wanna challenge us, <coughs> excuse me, I wanna challenge us who are, are her family today, who have maybe um, been followers of Jesus Christ for a long time, maybe you've been a Christian, maybe you were, a, you know, you were saved before you were born and you've been a Christian all your life, that type of thing, but um, sometimes I think we can become a little bit um, calloused. I think we can kind of like, oh, I've heard it a hundred times. I've heard that story. I know the story of the Good Samaritan. I know what goes on. And we can, um, we can lose kind of the cutting edge. Uh, we can let our hearts become dull to the impact and the power of the Word of God. And so this morning, I want to ask the Lord to help give us just a an, an ability to hear with hearing ears, an ability to, to maybe hear something that we've heard many times like we're hearing it for the first time. You think God's able to do that? Yeah. I think he is this morning. Let's pray. Will you join me in praying? Father, I just thank you so much for this opportunity to come together as your sons and as your daughters, um, as men and women and boys and girls that you, um, that you love. And God, your desire today is just to, from your word, pour into our lives in a very special way. God, I pray today that you will help us to be hearers, people who can readily receive the truths of your word and have our lives changed and impacted so that we can go out and help impact and change other lives. Holy Spirit, we just say speak in and through us today and for your glory in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Luke chapter 10, are you there? <clears throat> Luke chapter 10, I'm going to start with uh, verse 1, but then we're going to jump down into verse 25. But Luke chapter 10 starts with all about Jesus sending people out. It's all about evangelism. It's about outreach. Like I said, it's exactly what we're going to be focusing on for the next uh, six weeks or so leading up to Easter. But Jesus, uh, in Luke chapter 10, this is what happens. It says, after this, the Lord appointed 70 others, and he sent them on ahead two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. You know, I have read this scripture hundreds of times, literally. And yet when I was studying for this message today, it kind of jumped out at me 
that before Jesus goes anywhere, he always sends somebody ahead of him. You think about that, that that Elijah the prophet was gonna come before the Messiah came and before Jesus came and was born on earth. And, And time after time after time in scripture, we see that there are people that go out, the message that goes out, something that goes out, someone that goes out before Jesus shows up and And I hope that we can grip and grasp hold of today the idea that that sometimes before Jesus shows up to do something mighty and something wonderful in somebody's life, he sends us to prepare the way. He sends us to be the bearers of good news. Scripture goes on in verse two, and it says, and he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Go your way, behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. And so, so Jesus was saying to these disciples, to these followers, look, I'm gonna send you out and he sends them out with power and they, they go out and they do great works. They, um, they cast out demons and people are healed and, and all these kind of amazing things take place. And Jesus says, you know what? That's part of being a follower. Part of being my follower is to work in the harvest, is to go out, is to care about, is to impact the lives of others. That's what followers of Jesus do. That's what Christians do is we care about others. Amen? Amen. So they go out and they have these amazing results and then they come back in and and they say, oh man, all these great things happened. And Jesus said, hey, that's wonderful that great things happen. But the thing that you need to really rejoice about is that your name is written in heaven, that you've got a relationship with me and through me, you've got a relationship with God the Father. And that's what he told me. He said, that's the focus of things. And as he's focusing on that through the rest of chapter 10, we get down to verse, um, we get down to verse 25 and he And he's telling a story, and as he's teaching and stuff, all of a sudden, we have another character that shows up. And this character is a teacher. He's actually kind of a religious teacher. They call him a lawyer in the Bible. But let's read what the scripture says. It says, behold, verse 25, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? Now, now the lawyer, we know, really didn't want to know about eternal life. What he was trying to do was to trick or to trap Jesus. He was trying to put Jesus on the spot, maybe embarrass him, maybe make him falter in front of the people that he was ministering to. And, and he, so he's asking him these questions. He's following what's called a rabbinical process. Well, who can ask the question to trip up or to trick the other person? And so Jesus just responds, says, well, how do you read the law? And the reason he says that is because at this time in history, there were about 600 hundred laws that had been written of things that uh, you've got to do. Follow all these. Here's how you live and don't do this and do this and don't do this and do this. And, and so they, <coughs> excuse me, said, so they don't um, reiterate every law, but they had formed a, a little synthesis. And he said, well, tell me, how do you read the law? And so this man answered and he said, well, I read the law and it's kind of summed up in this. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus looks at him and says to him, you have answered correctly. Man, you check, you you got it, you win. Now all you have to do is just go out and do this. Sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? Just love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. So if that's all we have to do, then there's really a couple of questions that that I think need to be answered. 
One of them is, what does it mean and how can we know if we're loving our God with all that we are? How do we know that's taking place? I mean, has anybody ever wondered that? How do I know if I'm loving God with all that takes place? I think maybe a simple way, a simple test is to just ask, in in those quiet moments in your life, has anybody ever experienced a quiet moment in their life, right? How many people are praying for some quiet moments in your life? You know, the boss isn't yelling, the kids aren't screaming, the phone's not ringing, right? But in those, in those quiet moments of life, when your mind really doesn't have to be focused on something, I mean, not that there aren't things that try to, but, but when you've got a little bit of solitude, what, what, where does your mind go? What, what fills your mind? What, What do you think about? One ancient writer of old said that that what fills your mind in the moments of solitude is where your religion's at. That is your God. Now for some of us that's probably scary because we think about work or we think about the next situation or we think about the financial problems or we think about the stresses of life and and we know those things won't get us eternal life with they, will they? He said, no, so, so what is it that we think about? Where, where do our, where's, our, where's our default setting of our life? Is it thinking about God? Is it thinking about his goodness? Is it thinking about how wonderful he is? Is it thinking about how much he loves us or are there so many other things that are trying to, um, to be our God? Then he goes on, he says, there's a kind of a second test. And that second test is, do you love your neighbor as yourself. Do you love your neighbor as yourself? Now, uh, I've thought about this so much and and really we'll come back to this in a couple of weeks, but this whole idea of loving ourselves, it seems like it's either one extreme or the other in this ballpark, doesn't it? Either we love ourselves and we're the only thing we focus on or we don't love ourselves, we hate ourselves, we despise ourselves, all we think about is negative things, we don't treat ourselves right when it becomes to our emotions, when it comes to, uh, to the, the mental uh, aspects of our lives, when it comes to relationships. And, and so I think there's a balance. God wants us to learn how to rightly love ourselves. But he says this, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. So what does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? And that's, that's kind of the question we wanna focus on, we wanna look at today. What does it mean to love, love your neighbor as yourself? And, and here's a definition that, that, that I wanna lay out before us today. To love your neighbor as yourself means that you meet the needs of your neighbor with the same force, joy, speed, focus, and, and energy that you meet your own needs. How about that this morning? You meet the needs of your neighbor with the same force, the same joy, the same speed, the same focus, the same energy that you meet your own needs. It means that the needs of your neighbors are just as urgent and just as important as the needs in your life. Now, I don't know about you, but right now I'm feeling really, really, how many, people, how many people live this way, right? Maybe not a lot of us, but think about it for a second, that to love others as we love ourselves means, that, well, well, let's ask this question. When you're sick, how quickly do you want relief? <clears throat> All right, let me, let me ask it another way. 
When you show up at the emergency room, how happy are you when you have to wait for six hours, right? When you've got a broken arm, how quickly do you want it taken care of? We don't, oh, oh please, no, you've got, a, you've got a broken fingernail, please go before me, after you, you know. That's not the way we focus on life, is it? How about this, when you're hungry, how quickly do you want food? I, I really wanna ask that que- next question is, how long has it been since we've really been hungry? All right. Yeah. <laughs> how quickly do we want food if we're hungry, right? That's why we have a fast food world that we live in, amen? How quickly do we want food? How about this, when you cannot, when you can't pay your bills, how quickly do you want financial help? Do you ever find that that you get into a financial difficulty and all of a sudden those financial problems become the God in our life? Because every time we have a little bit of solitude, we think about how am I gonna pay the bill? How am, I, how am I gonna put food on the table? How am I gonna put shoes on my kids' feet? How am I gonna, how am I gonna, how am I gonna, and all of a sudden, how quickly, let me ask you, how quickly do we want that financial need met in our life? How many people say pretty quickly, right? Well, we, we all do, right? How about when you're emotionally distraught? How about, how about when you're, you're in turmoil in your heart or your mind? How about when there's a, when there's a, a conflict in a relationship? Some of you are looking like, like I don't, what's a conflict in a relationship? See, there's a man and a woman, and uh, has anybody ever had a conflict in a relationship? We all, have, all had those, haven't we? When there's a conflict in the relationship, how quickly do you want that conflict resolved? How quickly do you want, want peace to be restored? How quickly do you want what's turned uh, into, into, into dissension back into a place of unity? We want it quickly, don't we? We want it quickly. How about when your child is lost or tragedy has struck your family? How quickly do you want help in your life? Folks, I, I'm telling you, I, I, I want it immediately. I, I, as, as soon as I'm aware that, is anybody with me here? If I'm hungry, I want to eat. If something's out of order in my life, I want to I I, I you know, take care of it right then. I mean, we, we want it now. And so let's go back to, so then what is it? What's loving our neighbor? It's giving them, it's caring about their needs to the same degree with the same sense of focus, the same sense of urgency that we care for ourselves. And so Jesus explaining this, he goes to the man, he says, well, just do what you've said and you'll be saved. Just do that, that's all that you've gotta do. But you know, this man really didn't want an answer. What he wanted was an argument. What he wanted was to be noticed. What he wanted was to be in control. And so he kind of like, oh, Jesus, you can't put me off that easy. He said, let, let me just go ahead and ask this question. He says, so um, him desiring, verse 29 says, but he desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, oh, really? That's how we're supposed to treat our neighbor? Well, then just who is my neighbor? I can almost see Jesus going, reel you in here, reel you in here. Glad, glad you asked that question. <clears throat> I want to define for you, I see Jesus thinking this, I want to define for you who your neighbor is. And so he begins to, Jesus begins to give an answer to this man and, 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 and pretty quickly this man finds out that 
that the answer of, of who our neighbor is and, and what the minimum standard, in, um, <clears throat> Yvette and I have been pretty involved over the last few weeks with uh, getting uh, the preschool, uh, uh, moving the preschool to a new building and getting it up and opening and operating. And, and um, so we have to pass these, the preschool has to pass these inspections and these inspections, some of them are called the minimum standards. Well, sometimes what we do is we take the minimum standard. How many people know the minimum standard's not the goal? It's not, the, it's not where we want to be. It's the starting point. Amen? Everybody say amen. All right. Minimum standards is not where we want to stay. Where we, it's where we want to start. And so Jesus says, I'm going to lay out the minimum standards. Now, these minimum standards are going to be very costly. They're going to be very, make mean that you have to be, it's going to be very sacrificial. It's going to be very demanding on your life. And so he says, I want you to understand that these are the things that you can do that will show who your neighbor is, okay? That you can, how you can identify your neighbor. And so in verse 30, Jesus says, okay, here's what I wanna do. I wanna tell you a story. And we know this story is the story of the Good Samaritan, okay? So verse 30, Jesus replied, a certain man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed leaving him Okay, and some translations say, leaving him naked and half dead, leaving him laying on the side of the road. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place, he saw him, and he passed by on the other side. Now, one of the interesting things for me is, if these people are coming down this road, Literally, this road was a road that went up and down. It went up to Jerusalem. If they're coming down, then in all likelihood, these religious peoples, the priest and the Levite, have just left the temple. They've just left him. They probably heard a message on how to be a neighbor. They, they probably heard a message about, about care and about love and about reaching out to others, and they passed on by this certain man. And so it goes on in verse 33, it says, but a Samaritan, how many people here were, like, were here last week? Okay, last Sunday, good, good, good. Then you all know the history of Samaritans because Pastor Chris left it out, or let it, he, he, he told us about it. He told us that the Samaritans, the worst racial insult that you could think of is what the Jews thought about the Samaritans. And part of it goes back, this, this family um, rivalry, this, this hatred, this war amongst the people, it actually dated back 700 years. Chris told us about it, six or 700 years. So that when some of the refugees, some of the people that were left in the Jerusalem, when others were taken away into captivity, they intermingled. It was a mixed race of people and the Jews wanted nothing to do with them. They were disgusting. And so now we see that the hero of the story and remember, Jesus is talking to some religious leader, a Jewish man who was well-educated, knew the law, knew God, knew the answer to the question about eternal life, right? And now Jesus is making the Samaritan the hero of the story. It says, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he came and set him on his own animal and brought him to an end and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. 
and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. You know, I, I, I can imagine what's going on in the ears of this Jewish man when he's hearing this. Wait a minute. Jesus, that is way too abstract. That is way too crazy. How can you be making the Samaritan the goody, the good guy here? He goes, and all of a sudden, I believe that Jesus begins to know the arguments that are raising up in this man's heart. I, I think he's, he's reading his mind, reading his heart, because this guy's certainly got some things going. Hey, wait a minute, Jesus. There's got to be some limits here. There's got to be some places where we put the brakes on or on this neighboring thing. And, and, and in this section of scripture, Jesus responds to three areas of limits. And that's what I want us to focus on just for the next couple of minutes. I, I think the first area that we try to limit this whole issue of neighboring comes from an area that deals with the who. Okay. Who is my neighbor? It's natural I think we've got people that live in our neighborhood and something takes place and somebody's house catches on fire or somebody's sick or in our, our church and you guys always do a great job of caring one for another and taking food over and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's natural, it's easy to care for those who are like us who we share an affinity with, who we, who, who we understand, but what about and sometimes I think that's where we set the limit. I'm already loving my neighbor. I'm already sharing my goods. I'm sharing my time. I'm sharing my energy. I'm already fulfilling the limit. It's easy to care for those that we understand, but Jesus stretches the boundary. He says, listen, the boundary doesn't stop with those that we understand. It doesn't stop with those that we are comfortable with. That's where it starts. That's the minimum standard. It's the least thing that we can do. He says, as a matter of fact, what happens is it goes way beyond any limit that we would impose. As a matter of fact, it reaches to every person everywhere. Everybody say that with me. Every person everywhere. Let me say this to you this morning. No matter what your life situation no matter what your circumstance, no matter what you've gone through, no matter what scars you carry, can I tell you that God loves you and we love you and we care for you and we want to see God's very best in your life today. I mean that with all of my heart. We don't limit. There are no limits. I think the second thing that we would try to limit, well, if we can't limit the who, then we would limit the when. When do I help people? When should I reach out with the care and the love of Jesus? When do I, do I get involved in scenarios? I mean, I mean we, we can't be on all the time, right? I mean, there's life that goes on and there's, there's family responsibilities and work responsibilities and I got church responsibilities and I got this and that and that I want to do. And, and all of a sudden, we, we, we kind of limit things and, and we say, well, the when is when it's convenient for me. When is when it, it's in my sweet spot. When is when, when it, it, it doesn't inconvenience and doesn't, it doesn't impose on our lives. The when then becomes, and you know what? I can see this argument going on in this man's heart like maybe it goes on in some of ours and Jesus is saying, really? He's saying, listen, the when, the when, it's not about 
when you want to, it's when the need presents itself. And sometimes I think we go beyond just timing. We go beyond, we go to circumstances and situations. I don't know about you, but I've found myself at times going, man, I really want to help this person. And, and maybe another person has got a situation just like it, but then I'm going, well, you know what? <laughs> they just need to get a job. No wonder they got problems. No wonder they can't afford to pay their bills. They need a job. And, and all of a sudden we start evaluating and making judgments and say, hey, it's because of their own doing that they're in these issues, they're in these circumstances, they're in these situations. But as I'm reading the scripture here, you know what Jesus does? Jesus takes all that stuff off the table. He says the when is when the opportunity presents itself. It's when you have the opportunity. You know, maybe they were thinking about this. This man shouldn't have been on this road to start with. He certainly shouldn't have been alone. He knew that it was a place where robbers dwelt. He knew at this road that these, they were traveling, they would travel uh, to Jerusalem to go into worship. It was called the bloody highway. He, he knew. Have you ever met somebody or ever engaged with somebody that every time you turn around, they're getting into some type of problem or issue or conflict in their life. And, and I don't know about you, but I've had times in my life where it's like, well, you know what? They, they knew that was going to happen. They knew if they stayed, if they kept practicing that addiction, they knew that if they kept living that lifestyle, that tough things were going to happen. And so, well, they just are going to have to pay the price. But you know what? Jesus is taking the that win off the table. He's saying if the opportunity presents itself, then maybe that's the win that God wants for, I'm not saying us, but for this man to be involved, right? Maybe the third place that we limit is the how much. How much is it going to cost us? Does anybody ever factor that in? How much are they going to cost? And not only that, what are they going to do with it? Man, you know, because we've all heard the stories. We've all heard the stories about the people with the signs and, and man, you give them $5. And if enough people give them $5, then at the end of the day, they pack up their signs, take off their makeup, get into the really nice fancy car and drive to the fancy home. And we got taken. Can I tell you, I'd certainly much rather be a people that get taken than a people who close up and shut up their hearts and close off compassion and, and risk you know, it's going to cost something. This is what Jesus says. It's going to cost time. It's going to cost energy. It's going to cost finances. It's going to cost, let me say this, to reach out to our neighbors, to really love our neighbors, to show compassion to our neighbors, to show compassion to the people that God lets our lives connect with. You know what? It's going to cost more. It's going to take more. It's going to demand more than we can ever imagine. And for that, we should say hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Because you know what? It's not about our resources. It's about his resources flowing through us. Amen. Amen? Listen, you know what? When this Samaritan stopped on this highway, he risked everything. Everything. I, I don't know if you've ever been in a scenario where this takes place. Years ago, I was a chaplain with the Tyler Police Department for 13 uh, years. And, and so occasionally I'd get, um, get these call outs. And unfortunately, many times it was about going and knocking on a door and, and telling a family in the middle of the night that, that they had lost a loved one due to some tragic situation. But, but occasionally, 
there was some type of a situation going on. I remember one night um, we got a call, I got a call and a, the chaplain was requested, so I, I went out there and, um, and there was a, a situation that was in progress. And I, and I showed up and the atmosphere was different than I'd ever experienced. The guy, the, 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 I mean, the, the officers were on full alert, alert. They weren't full alert. They weren't walking around drinking their coffee. They weren't just taking, I mean, they were on full alert. Everybody's attention geared up. Their guns were ready, everything. And what's going on? And, and the, the response was, there's an active shooter. By, by showing up at this point, can I tell you that they were risking their lives. This man, when he stopped his journey, he was literally risking his life. Just think, somebody's laying there, they've just been beat up, they've just been stripped and robbed. I don't know about you, my first question would be, are they gone yet, you know? I mean, it was like, what's up with this, you know? He stopped, he risked everything. He risked everything. I think that's a, an interesting position to be able to risk anything, everything. So, so let's, let's wrap up here this morning with this, okay? What motivation would it take to get us to care about all people everywhere, all the time, no matter what it costs? I, I, what, what motivation, what would motivate us to say, it doesn't matter the color of your skin, it doesn't matter how you got into the situation, it doesn't matter how difficult the situation, it doesn't matter how much time or energy or effort it's gonna take on my part because you're worth it. What, what can possibly be the motivation here? I, I think maybe there's two answers. One is just because it's the good moral thing to do, morality, right? I mean, that's, that's what our world tells us, right? All good people care for other people. It's very um, apropos, it's very political, politically correct right now. If you're a part of almost any organization, and, and I'm not saying this is a bad thing, I think it's a great thing, it's a very good thing, but you can be a part of any social organization, any, your workplace, most workplaces now, they have something about, that says something about giving back to the community. How many people have heard that? We give back. We, we give, we care. So, because it's a good thing to do, it's a reasonable thing that citizens do. And, and look, and that's great, that's wonderful, that's a, that's a good motive, that's a good thing. But can I tell you that it's not the motivation that will cost, that will allow you to really um, put your life in jeopardy. It's not the motivation that will last. It's not the motivation that will lead to eternal life. And that's what the issue is here. So what's the second motivation? Um, how about guilt? You know? <laughs> um, as I'm speaking, and, and, and I know that there's been this tension that, that's going on in my heart, and maybe you felt it in yours, where where you feel a little bit guilty because maybe I haven't been as compassionate, I haven't been as caring, I haven't been as forthright, I haven't been investing. And, and can I tell you that, that, that the last thing on Jesus' mind then and today is guilt. Don't, don't, don't feel guilty. If you've ever felt guilty for not doing something you should have done, let me, let me let you off the hook right now and say, you're forgiven, you're absolved, you're whatever, whatever it takes, okay? You don't have to feel guilty. 
Now, that's not what Jesus was driving towards. That's not what Jesus was, was after. That's not where he was going. As a matter of fact, it's just the opposite. If Jesus had wanted to make this man feel guilty, the, the, the lawyer, the, 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 you know, the, the teacher, this righteous teacher, you know what he would have done? He would have made him the hero of the story. He, he would have said to him, look, look, see what the priests didn't do and see what the Levites didn't do. And, and look, you, now you should do this. And if you don't do this, then you're not going to be saved. You're not going to be a good person. But that's not where he puts the man. You know where I think he puts the man? I think he puts the man on the road. I think this certain man that was the, the lawyer, I don't think he was one of the heroes. I think he was the man that was stripped and was beaten and was naked and had been robbed. He's now the man. Jesus is trying to get him to see himself as the man laying in the road. And what Jesus is saying, he's saying this, he's saying, until you've come to the place where you've been at the bottom, where you've been helpless and where you've been hopeless and, and when you've had needs that you could not meet, when you couldn't do it on your own and you had to have somebody help you until you recognize a neighbor in somebody else, you'll never be able to be a neighbor yourself. And so I think he brings this man to the point of humility. I think he brings this man to the point where all of a sudden he has to open up his head and see things in a new way and go, wait a minute, the Samaritan's not my enemy. God used that Samaritan to help me. And he had to not only open up his head, not only deal with his head, because there's so many things that were involved in this. Chris talked about it a little bit last week, racism issues and prejudices and, and socioeconomic issues and class distinction and on and on and on. He had to help the man begin to think in a different way. But he also opened up the man's heart. You know what he, what he opened up the man's heart to do? He opened up the man's heart to receive Man, I could see him standing there in front of Jesus saying, I'd never let a Samaritan help me. I'd never be in a situation where I was like that. And all of a sudden, I think he gets the revelation in his heart that, wait a minute, that's me. I'm the man. I'm the man that's been stripped. You've stripped away all of my justifications, Jesus. I'm the one that's naked. You've stripped away all of the, all of the things of the self-righteousness that I would clothe myself in and you've taken away all of my arguments, Jesus. And now I find myself hopeless and, and undone and, and I need somebody to come and to help me. I need somebody to, to come and, and do for me what I can't do for myself. And you, can I tell you to, that in this neighboring thing, that's what Jesus wants. He wants us to, he, he, he's, I think he's almost demanding of us things that can't be demanded of us. Does that, does that make sense to you? That it's, somebody can't point your finger, they're forming it. You've got to go do this. 
It's something that springs out of our hearts and says, you know what, I was once that person. Do you remember being that person? One of my deep concerns, if I can have everybody looking at me, one of my deep concerns about children and youth and and people that have been in church for a long time and maybe even been in New Covenant for a long time is that we would forget that we're not better than anybody. That That we would forget. I'm telling you folks, I remember. I know where the Lord came and where he found me. I know that I was lost and I know that had Jesus not sent someone, if he had not sent somebody to tell me how much he loved me, that he would forgive my sins, that he would give me a new life, I know that I would have died on that road. I know that I can't, there was no way I could ever do it on my own. Do you remember that because of your sin and because of your unrighteousness and because of some of the wrong choices of your life that you could not forgive yourself, you could not heal yourself, you could not help yourself. Do you remember that? Do you, do you remember? Has it become so commonplace? Oh, I'm a Christian, I've been a Christian for all these years, I've gone to church. Man, I'm just so concerned that we lose that we lose the memory that Jesus, had you not come walking down a street and found me naked and beaten and battered and bruised and nearly dead. Oh, Jesus, thank you. Thank you. How long has it been, folks? since you've really thought about Jesus. If you had not picked me up, if you had not come close, if you had not seen me, if you had not come close, if you had not touched me, and there's the pattern, folks. To see people. You know why we don't see people? It's because we're so blinded by our own stuff and our own preoccupation. This isn't guilt. Can I tell you, guilt won't be enough motivation. But can I tell you what will be? When you've been saved, when you've been rescued, when you've been found naked and lost and hurting and just cut off and hopeless and all of a sudden, all of a sudden somebody comes along and they take hold of your life. And they say, I love you too much. It doesn't matter what it costs. It doesn't matter how far out of my way it takes me. It doesn't matter if I have to leave heaven and come to earth. I'll do it for you. I'll do it for you. And then you know what changes in our lives, what changes in my life? Oh, there's no cost too great. (laughs) Because once I was dead, but now Jesus has made me alive. 
There, there's no effort. There's no expense too great because if it wasn't for him, I'd have nothing. So you know what the real motivation for neighboring is? It's having received Jesus as our neighbor.